0: Okay, here we go. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 375 is recorded live July 19th, 2018. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jillson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. We're joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac?
1: I'm doing very well. enjoying the uh, 87 degree weather here in sunny Michigan.
0: Oh, this is beautiful weather. Just a great time. Uh, actually, a little, a, a little bit mild for July, but who is complaining? Not I. Yeah, I can. If, if you're getting an opportunity to head up in the Michigan this is the perfect time uh any idea what the big lake is as far as temperature wise as it's st- imagine it's probably started to creep up a little bit
1: well it's got to be in the high fifty fives or sixties anyway because the bathers are out there having a good old time
0: yeah, so that's a, so above the thermocline it's at least uh oh yeah above fifty nine or sixty and that's in Fahrenheit if that was in Celsius, we'd we'd be halfway to cooking a lobster. <laughs> I'd like to thank everybody in the chat room. We get a little bit of a late start this week. It's uh, 10.30, so almost an hour to late. So this will probably be a quick episode. I want to let everybody get out of here. Uh, for those who uh, have been asking about Spotify, I I am pleased to announce that we have just added Spotify as one of the sources where you can listen to the program. Our hosting prov- provider, uh, Podiant, had added that service and tested it and and how spotify works is spotify doesn't work like a normal client normal clients just use a an rss feed to get to the audio file you have to feed it in directly into spotify with additional information so they partner with hosting companies and so our hosting company had finally jumped through all the hoops you needed to to get to Podient. so this week they have been added to the network so just a, one more way to be able to listen to the program and if you enjoy it and you find the program of any value, uh, please head on over to our website, www.scubaobsessed, where Jim Billings has been keeping the articles all up to date. And while you're there, click on over to the Patreon link. And any amount that you can donate would certainly be appreciated. If you get any value of the program, any information, entertainment, or uh, if it's just consuming space on your phone, we'd certainly appreciate if you consider donating. Uh, all these different networks: Stitcher, Podium, Apple, Google Play. Uh, we don't get any of that revenue. There's no revenue sharing. We get no funds from any of any of those services. In fact, on our website, we've we don't even do uh, Google Ads at this point in time. So, the only way we get any monetary support is when you donate, and that helps us helps keep us on the air. I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We have uh, Derek and Eric have have joined us in the chat room this week. Uh, the rest of our Divers are probably on a nice Thirsty Thursday dive. Uh, Mac, do you know where they were playing on heading?
1: I do not know. I was uh, at a cardboard boat race myself for a couple hours today. Ah! I know Kevin is up north having a heck of a good time. Yep. Uh, he's been posting some really, really nice videos, too. Yeah,
0: and I saw that Bob is, is out west.
1: Oh, yeah, Montana, <laughs> yeah. Dakotas.
0: Yeah, I, I think I heard something about Mount Rushmore at one point. Yep. Uh,
1: not much. I mean, some of the I was going to say some of the pictures, though the bison herds. Uh huh. Some of those are amazing. What he's been shooting I, with a yeah. camera, of course, shooting with the camera.
0: Yes. <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, Mount Rushmore isn't really, you know, if they added about a thousand feet of water, that might be a a, a good diving location.
1: Yeah, uh, he was living out the Devil's Monument looking for UFOs. <laughs>
0: Get a little synthesizer out there, play some tunes. And maybe
1: some colored lights to go with it.
0: Yeah, that would that would work. Well, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. The first article, uh, there's a tragedy. They had a rare heart condition played a role in the Chicago uh fire diver's death. Chicago Fire Department diver Juan Buco suffered from a rare heart condition that contributed to his death while he was trying to rescue a boater in the Chicago River on Memorial Day. Uh and I'm I'm probably saying his his last name wrong. Uh B U C I O Buco. Uh, vanished in the river near 26th and Ashland around 8 p.m. He was pronounced dead after being pulled out several minutes later. The Cook County Medical Examiner report said he had a rare heart condition that led to his death. The Official cause of death is ruled by the medical examiner is asphyxia with the depletion of air from his diving tank due to cardiac arrhythmia. Uh, was it lymph, lymphocritic mitocardius? As an inflammatory reaction to the heart muscle it usually happens after a viral infection. to the heart, tries to fight a virus, according to Dr. Krishan, a Rush University Medical Center cardiologist. His heart went into sudden arrhythmia and it made an incapacity to do what he was trained to do, and he lost consciousness. The response can weaken the heart muscle, give signs of heart failure, and also make someone at risk of dangerous rhythm problems. The rare condition combined with irregular heartbeat could prove fatal. While well, the scuba diving equipment functioned properly, the descent likely exhausted his primary air supply at some point during the dive. This, in turn, caused him not to be able to activate other safety equipment that would have kept him afloat. Thus, he sank below the surface. You know, I'm having a hard time interpreting this. Is it the heart condition, or did... I don't, I don't think so. Because one, it says he ran out of air, right, and that screwed up his heart.
1: Well, okay, you ran out of air, screw up your heart, and you don't have an air to hit your BC to come back up.
0: So, but it he also, talks,
1: but I'm not sure the How could the heart condition have anything to do with his running out of air?
0: Yeah, it, it's hard to tell because he ran out of air. Is it, did, did the heart condition make him breathe quicker than normal? I mean, was he I in? Don't think, yeah.
1: I don't think he can breathe that fast. It says cause of death is asphyxia with depletion of air from his diving tank due to cardiac arrhythmia. Well, Cardiac arrhythmia is not going to make you deplete your air.
0: No. Well, in and this is a shallow dive. So unless his tank was already empty, I mean, you have to breathe an awful lot, awful heavy. I can't believe they'd be diving anything less than an 80 in the river. Yeah. You know, so if his depth was less than 10 feet, gosh, he'd probably have an hour of air. I mean, it's possible to use it quicker, but that would be, I mean, we've done the river two hours in an 80, I think. At least an yeah. hour and a half.
1: And that's like he said he was he was a pronounced head after being pulled out several minutes later. Yeah. So yeah. that is also interesting. Meaning, did he have a line on him, or was there another diver, buddy diver, with him?
0: Yeah. Well, it's, so it's, it's, they're, it's, they're
1: missing a few details. It'd be nice to have. Yeah.
0: That, that's a, a certainly a tragedy. And uh, you know, we wish his family well, and uh, hopefully they they can pull through this and understand what happened. But uh, not really clear uh, from my perspective. Or at least we, we, don't, we might not be understanding what they're telling us. And then a follow-up to... An, go ahead. I was going to say, we're reading
1: what they said and that doesn't jive with what we know happens.
0: Yeah. Uh, the, the next article is from the Miami Herald. It's a follow-up to an article we had a few weeks back. Uh, a man who stole a gold bar from the Key West Museum. He's now blaming abuse and a cannabis addiction. One of the two men who stole the bar from the museum in 2010 says he's his untreated child abuse and a $700 a week cannabis addiction played a significant role to a crime. $700 a week? Is, is that a lot or a little? In, $700 would be a lot to me. And, and, That's $2,800 a month. Well, I mean, it, monetarily wise, but is that is I, I'm completely out of touch with what the drug market is in Florida, but... Uh, oh, are I, you
1: in touch with it here in
0: michigan oh uh, michigan <laughs> where you can get a medical card no I actually i don't but I'm, I'm looking forward to that day when i can retire and just be a stoner or something <laughs> actually dive that's, i just don't have the, have the time for or the money seven hundred dollars a week my goodness maybe that's why I had to steal, steal a gold bar uh I, you know of course we we read this for what it is which is excuse Richard Stephen Johnson is due for sentencing U.S. District Court on July 23rd for breaking display case while Jared Goldman kept watch and swiping a 17th century golden bar recovered from the shipwreck in 1980. Johnson took the, the gold bar worth about 550000 to Las Vegas, chopped it up for sale according to testimony at Goldman's trial. Goldman was convicted by a jury and also set for sentencing July 23rd. Both faced up to 15 years in prison. Johnson could receive a break since he cooperated with federal prosecutors Johnson's attorney says two-year sentence would be appropriate given the family support his client has and his extreme remorse. Johnson's attorney says, judge, uh, Jose Marinez should take into consideration that is not the same man who robbed the Mel Fisher maritime, uh, heritage museum and a rare artifact eight years ago. Of course not. He's, he has more money. Uh, Richard's, that stands before the court for sentencing is a very different person than he was in two thousand ten when he brazenly walked in the Melfish Museum to steal the gold bar," wrote Miami eternal uh, Attorney Chad Piorewski on July thirteenth. Since the crime was committed, Johnson has found the his relationship with his, his wife. Uh, she has proven a strong support system for Richard, and she will be there for him till the end when he needs her the most. He grew up with an alcoholic, a sexually abused uncle, according to Johnson's sister. He never had a chance to be a child. The attorney blames Daily Cannabis Habit for spurring the gold bar theft and is asking Johnson be placed in a residential drug treatment program. Goldbar Heist wasn't Johnson's first criminal act. At age nineteen in nineteen ninety-six, Johnson admitted to killing his six month old son by shaking him to death because he wouldn't stop crying. He served about seven years in Minnesota State Prison. Johnson, a letter to his attorney, filed in court, said he never underwent any therapy for his son's death and that it eats me inside every time I bring it up to myself. Johnson cites his marriage and becoming a Jehovah's Witness as evidence that he has changed. I would like to forgive all the monsters who hurt me as a child and eventually forgive myself for the wrongs I have done.
1: I am curious, though, that uh, he stole the bar in 210. This is 218, and they're just sentencing him now, and right now he has an addiction to marijuana still? Yeah. So I haven't seen a lot of change there.
0: No, I I would say the same thing. He's he's basically asking for them to provide the therapy. Yeah, I.
1: Well, he's he's going to get the uh, not going to have any drugs for a while.
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, well, our justice system is quite interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm going to say no. I mean, if I was a judge, I'd say, yeah, you've you've had your shot. You you didn't correct correct it after coming out, so. Cave diving experts feel the ripples of the Thailand rescue. They said summer is usually a slow season for scuba diving in the Bonterra Mine in Missouri, about half hour south of St. Louis, but not this year. Not since the 12 young soccer players a coach were rescued from the flooded cave, captivating the world and thrusting diving in the spotlight. My gosh, our phone's been blowing up. It's been great, said Douglas, who owns a mine with his wife, Catherine. He said the call start coming in. One week into the two-week ordeal and continued through the rescue with people inquiring about diving and dive certification and wanting to talk about how they were seeing in northern Thailand. It shows how big diving can save people's lives who are not divers. And it turned out bad, I don't know, but my gosh, it turned out. It's a miracle. Bonterra is a former lead mine that plunges 500 feet below the surface. It operates, operated for about 100 years, starting at 1860. When it was a working mine, groundwater is pumped out. With the mining stopped, so do the pumps submerging three of the mine's five levels and, in essence, stopping time. Preserved all history. Gorgon said we have over 100-year-old ore carts, the rail system, the building. We've got an area called the city. There's even an old cast-iron drinking fountain outside one of our offices underwater. There's a movie theater. There's a lunchroom. There's a machine shop. There's a geology labs. Divers with open-water certification can take 50 trails to explore the what they call the world's largest man made underwater caverns. They operate West End Diving, which trains people to dive. Walking and boating tours are also available. After Thailand, Douglas expects more people to be interested in trying diving. Open water certification is beginning for people who wish to venture deep in the realm of cavern and cave diving. That type of diving is highly technical. Divers need rigorous experience and training. Uh, although it's only been weeks since the start of the cave incident, the paddy uh, has seen increase in demand. Global paddy cavern diver certifications increased 150 percent. Over this month last year, according to the organization, before enrolling in the course, divers need to be 18 years old, certify as a PADI, advanced open water. The main difference between cavern and cave diving, according to PADI, is with cavern diving, the diver will always be able to see natural light, making it easy to access open water. through Richards, President and CEO, PADI Worldwide, said the increase in interest is natural given the recent drama. The world watched as the Thai government, Thai military, global elite, cave diving and community, and other national experts Execute a historic rescue of the 12 boys and their coach. The selfless team effort makes me proud of the diving community Patty serves. It's the kind of thing that makes people want to take part. Aspiring cave divers should expect to put a lot of time and energy into the endeavor. This is Rick McCarr, a cave diving instructor in Florida. He owns the Aquatic Adventures and Genesis Diving Institute, Florida. And that he too has received an increase in calls as the president of the National Association of Cave Diving. Rekar is quick to add that doesn't encourage people to get into cave diving. That's something that must decide for themselves. Our first question is why. We talk about the student assess their intentions and motives. That's important because of the danger involved with cave diving. In Thailand, the volunteer diver-tired Thai Navy SEAL died during rescue efforts when he ran out of oxygen. It's a possibility every prospective cave diver must consider. Each student of cave diving is viewed the next possible case diving fatality. Cave diving fatality. Robert McGann, cave diving guide and instructor in O'Brien, Florida, leads advanced divers through cave system in North Florida. He says he loves the complex planning required for cave diving as well as the serenity. There's beautiful rock formations, clay banks you can see underwater that have not been touched for thousands of years. To get that point he emphasizes requires dedication, determination. Generally speaking, it takes about five years for somebody to go through open water and put them the skills needed for cave diving. For divers who don't want to venture Venture down deep paths. There's a former Missouri lead mined stadium. Light shining down from above. Visibility is always a hundred feet. Not to mention quarries, lakes, underwater ways around the world, ready to explore. I'm I'm actually kind of surprised. Have you heard of this happening in the in the past, where uh, a potential tragedy has increased diving participation?
1: I don't recall having heard that before.
0: Because you wouldn't think of anything. You'd think it would scare people off but maybe it just you would think so puts it in front of their minds or maybe you know we've because we've secretly had that discussion you know for years and years everybody's been trying to make diving sound like ridiculously safe uh and maybe that worked against the sport you know maybe maybe i don't know
1: i know that uh if you don't like night diving you're certainly not going to like cave diving if you just can't can't handle not being able to see without a torch or a light, uh, I don't think caving is going to be for you.
0: And I've also heard of people like, uh, um, I I don't want to, people I'm close to who have told me the reason they're not going to try scuba diving in general is that they feel like the mask would make them claustrophobic or even being claustrophobic being underwater. And if that's the case, I cannot see cave diving being something that would even remotely interest you. Well, I
1: like the part where they said five years of experience is what you really want to have, which means hopefully you've experienced a lot of the the issues and good water, good visibility, and are and can you know self reliance in that situation before you even think of it, cave diving. I yeah, mean, cavern diving would be a real good start even for that.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, because I've done some cavern diving, uh, and if you if you don't care for cavern diving, then you're you're certainly not a candidate for cave diving.
1: Right, because even at Bon Terre, you cannot always ascend directly up. When you're going through some of the tunnels, uh, if you had a total malfunction and you didn't have a good buddy or somebody didn't see you having some difficulties, that would be awkward. If there's a few parts and places where they have you uh, surface in a dark chamber, meaning there is no you have to go back down to get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, after a while, I don't know how good the air would be, but you surface in that chamber, and it's like just as dark as the water you got out of. It's it's a little freaky. It was sort of fun. So you need you, to me, you'd need to go through that kind of diving experiences before you even thought about cave diving.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you there.
1: Have you been to Bontair?
0: No, it, it's on my list. I can remember when uh, the company I worked for got bought by a Missouri company. I was thinking, great, I've got an excuse to go down. I'm going to go down to Missouri several times a year, and while I'm there, I'll go to Bonterra. Here's the crazy thing. The distance from where I live now to Bonterra Mines, I think, is about seven hours.
1: Yeah, at least seven, eight hours.
0: Seven, eight hours. The distance from here to where the company that bought me is, is seven hours. The distance from there to Bonterra is eight hours. I'm just as close to Bonterra mine here as I would be on a trip down there. And it's just the way the roads are. Yeah, it's kind of like how, how we got some times where there's no straight shot. And mm-hmm. that's the same thing. It's like you got to go over and down. So you're just backtracking. So No, I haven't I haven't had a chance. It's, it's on my list. I want to do it. Uh, I, it seems like it'd be a great trip to do in the winter. You know, take like a January, February, and just drive on down and go and do it.
1: That's when the club normally went was there in January, February.
0: Yeah. So yeah, maybe yeah, I say that maybe this year, but I've got to get in the water somehow. Uh civil war ship. Go, go ahead. I would go. I would go dry and not wet though. I just
1: just right for a good fitting wetsuit. Dry suit, you know, you got the little extra bulk and drag.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I had more fun in a in a wet suit.
0: Oh. What what's the average water temperature in there? Is it like uh, sixty or so?
1: It's got to be because I mean we're very comfortable in the wet. Yeah, yeah you, I just don't remember.
0: Maybe that'd be a good excuse to buy a new wetsuit.
1: A wetsuit. A wetsuit. Classifies. It doesn't
0: classify as a wetsuit anymore. The funny thing no. <laughs> here, here's a story for this week. Uh, uh, you know, I'm in a case where the house is just like, exploding with clutter. Yeah, it's just crazy. The you know it's it's like uh amazon seems to have a daily route to this house uh and i and and my my wife and daughter who are in the horses it seems like there's always something they don't have that they need so it's just getting completely full upstairs of horse blankets and tack and i started complaining and my wife says well if when you get a chance go down and grab there's this tub and it's empty next to a tub storage container Next to the furnace, so I go down there and grab it. It's not empty; it has my wetsuit in it. But was that a hint? uh, Maybe it was. Maybe it was. (laughs) Throw the wetsuit out, or or what used to be formally known as a wetsuit. Throw that out, and we'll put horse tack in it. Civil War shipwreck at Bayport delays pier replacement, multiplies cost by ten. Locals and visitors who enjoyed fishing and scenic vistas from the pier in Bayport are eager to see the structure rebuilt after Hurricane Hermione destroyed it in 2016. But a Civil War shipwreck on the site, known by historians but news to the Miranda County Commissioner, will delay the reopening, and the new price tag is 10 times the original estimate, in part due to historical concerns. The wooden pier was built in the site of several clashes between Union ships from Tampa and Confederate militias at Bayport, with a major battle in 1863, according to local historians, assessing the impact of construction on any artifacts is now part of the consideration process, commissioners learned recently. In 2017, commissioners discussed replacing the damaged pier by using money earmarked for protecting and maintaining environmental sensitive land, sparking controversy. Ultimately, commissioners moved some of the ta- the tax funds to the new quality of life fund that didn't have any such strings attached. <laughs> We'll just shuffle this down so we can spend it like we want. At the time, commissioners were discussing the cost of about eighty thousand dollars. Since then, the county had to tap the quality life fund to help balance its budget, forcing the commission to find a loan to fund the find commission to find a loan to fund, to pay for rebuilding the pier. On July tenth, the county commissioners agreed to use seven hundred ninety-nine thousand four hundred sixty dollar line of credit for the project. That includes construction contract with Mid Coast Construction Enterprises of Lardo, totaling just under six hundred and sixty thousand. Another seventy-seven thousand go to Cardno, an international engineering company with local office for the cultural resource assessment inspection surface. The remainder of the money will pay for the completed damage assessment as well as engineering project oversights. Commissioners learned in June about the complications caused by the shipwreck. The matter came up when the county applied for permit. From the U.S. Army Corps Engineers, explained Deputy Commissioner Jeff Rogers. Commissioner John Alco asked why the archaeological assessment was needed since there was a pier there before. If we find a shipwreck, we we do get to open up as a new park with a glass-bottom boats equipped. The agencies want to ensure the support and other work on the pier don't impact historical remains, Rogers said. He also was realistic about, What that meant. Whenever you hit a historical area, it costs you a lot of money and time. There's one Civil War shipwreck near the pier and multiple shipwrecks in the general area of Bayport, according to David Leste, a member of the Board of Hernando Historic Preservation. Artifacts from surrounding areas have been collected and preserved in the past, he said, including a porthole, a swivel arm (laughs) used for a sink. Uh, He said he was sure the county would protect the shipwreck site, but said residents need to let that happen in proper time. County Commissioner Chairman Steve Champion said he was eager to see the pier rebuilt, but shocked at the cost increase. This is what happens when government gets in the way, he said. The Federal Emergency Management Agency expected to reimburse the county some portion of the pier cost. Several months ago, before learning of the shipwreck, FEMA told the county pier replacement cost $332,953. The county has offered no time limit for the construction to begin or be completed. Wow, what a complete cluster this is every way you look at it. For one thing, I think they were vastly... Underestimated the pier at $80,000. So the survey is, to go back through this, is costing $7,000. With...
1: I'd like really to know is what is the condition of the shipwreck? How deep is it? How far is it from the docks or the pier? Meaning, exactly how is it going to be impacted by them constructing this? And, you know, of what real value is that shipwreck? I mean, are they actually using it for something? Are there? Is it is an archaeological zone that's marked. You know, it's like
0: a yeah. money boondock. Well, that's—I I hate to say that because I've got friends who are archaeologists. But it always, whenever I see this, I just can't help but think, you know, this is just a way of extorting money from government to get them to fund your dig project.
1: Well, I'm looking at the picture, and if that picture was the bridge. uh
0: that's a pier, you isn't it?
1: Four hundred thousand dollars is not is not uh, seems like a real big overkill. I no, mean, that's wood, for God's sake.
0: Yeah, you, you do anything in the water, and it adds up. So seventy thousand dollars for the survey, and then it looks like six hundred and sixty thousand dollars is for the construction.
1: <laughs> for a wooden pier. Well,
0: uh, it may not be a wooden pier. We'll have to. We'll just have to see. Good work if you can get it. And then we have Archaeologist Reveals' new find from legendary Swedish warship. Cannons, hand grenades, and up to 1,000 soldiers were on board the Swedish warship when it exploded in the Baltic Sea 454 years ago. Uh, the ship known as the Mars belonged to Swedish Navy as one of northern Europe's largest and most feared naval vessels used in the northern seven years' war. The remains were discovered at the bottom of the Baltic Sea in 2011 near the Swedish island of Öland. The latest discoveries from the wreck were revealed during a press conference in Oland. This year we have come closer to the people aboard. We found more skeletal parts, including a femur with trauma around the knee, which we believed to stem from a sharp-edged weapon, says marine archaeologist Rolf Grabicus Warming, who was one of the researchers involved in the investigation. We also found large guns and a hand grenade. We can see from the wreckage it was a very intense and tough battle. Between 800 and 1,000 men were on board. That is comparable to population of entire medium-sized town at the time. Most of them died in an explosion when the ship sank the watery depths. So, some nice photos they have in this article.
1: I'm curious about the silver treasure they discovered. Where's the silver? Well, below that first picture, it says, Researchers had previously discovered silver treasure among the Mars wreckage. Huh. This time, one of the most spectacular finds was a large grapple or grappling hook, an anchor-like hook, which hung from the battle spirits of the warship and when used to cling into another ship in order to board it. But I still want to hear about the silver treasure. They mention it, but they don't say much. And the picture's are really nice, so everybody's got a rebreather, we is about 210 feet down.
0: Uh, that's, I was going to ask how deep it was, because they talk about only being able to be down there 40 minutes.
1: Yeah, 70 meters. So the pictures are pretty nice. Yeah,
0: and it's it's very that well. One
1: section of that one section of the hold with the cannon coming out is rather interesting. But as always, they're not pristine wrecks. No,
0: I mean the wood because like, it wasn't even pristine when it went down. It got blown apart. Uh, I mean the the wood. I mean the large timbers are relatively preserved for four hundred and some years.
1: But sure, there's another picture uh, taken in. Well, it was discovered in 2011, and this is the picture of the aft. looks like the aft end, and it's, it looks like a rubble wreck at this section, where it was, like, blown up and then really gnarly. Yeah. Still love Some of d- those cannon are nice.
0: Yeah, still love the dive on it. A little deep for me now, but maybe someday. You, you didn't see all the pictures for this? Yeah, I saw them
1: all. Oh, okay. Some of these are pretty nice. Yeah, I mean it's it's like some of the wrecks you're going to find up in uh, the Mackinac Straits, mm-hmm. like the clay and the false clay. Just put a couple of cannon on it, and that's what it looks like.
0: Yeah, but but also uh, twice the age of those wrecks. Yes, but they've got similar conditions. I mean, they're talking about uh, cold water. Uh, yeah. Now, this is in salt water. Is this in a river where it's fresh?
1: Um, I don't know. I was looking. I did not see.
0: Yeah, because they don't talk. I, about, I
1: don't see that reference. Yeah, I don't yeah. see the.
0: the, the sometimes they'll talk about saltwater or brackish water.
1: I don't see any vegetation that I'd be used to seeing either on the uh, the wreckage on the cannons or on the bottom. So maybe you know, I don't see any sea life that I normally am used to seeing.
0: So maybe fresh water in a river. I don't know. That's
1: all deep river.
0: That's true. I, I guess you could have a bay. I guess we could always Google it.
1: Well, it will be a good shot there for someone to take a look at, because this is interesting.
0: And then the, the chat room is getting impatient for us to uh, get to the good one, the one that's been in the news the last two or three days. And this one is the sh- sunken Russian warship uh, said to contain 200 tons of gold discovered near uh, South Korea. Uh, missing Russian Imperial Navy cruiser said to contain 200 tons of gold bullion worth an estimated $133 billion has been discovered after being lost at sea for 113 years. The wreck of the Dmitry Donskoy, Donskoy? Uh, 6,200 ton warship that went down during the Russo-Japanese War of 1904-05 was discovered on July 15th at about 0. 0.8 miles or 1.3 kilometers from the shore of the Ugalando, a South Korean island located 75 m- miles or 120 kilometers east of the Korean Peninsula, the Telegraph reports the ship was found under 1,400 feet of water, or 430 meters, by an international consortium led by a South Korean salvage team called the Chanel Group. Launched in March 28, 1881, the Dmitry was the first Russian armored cruiser. It was designed to attack merchant ships and was capable of raising full, sail, full set of sails to conserve coal consumption. On May 29, 1905, the ship was deliberately sunk by its captain, Ivan Lebedev, after taking serious damage during the Battle of Tunsima. The crew had been ordered ashore the day before. The ship is rumored to contain 5,500 boxes of gold bullion, accounting for 150 trillion one yuan or $133 billion, according to the Telegraph.
1: Why on earth would a Navy cruiser being used in the war have on, on, you know, why would it be carrying that much gold?
0: A different article I read said that that was the money, because that was like a flagship of their Navy, and it was carrying the money they needed for wages, port fees, docking, uh, that the fleet would need as it traveled. So, you know, not knowing, you know, the banking system at the time, maybe that's what you had to have. But that's that's what the article had said.
1: Now, if it had that much money on it, why wouldn't you just try to run your ship aground?
0: Well, they didn't. They were afraid the uh, the Japanese would salvage it. Was it the Japanese? Is that...
1: Well, then, if that's true, why did they wait a hundred years or so before they went to find it?
0: Well, I, I mean, don't think they th- knew that. Well, I I heard somebody say that this was rediscovered. So I think we'll see some more articles pretty soon that explain that, you know, he scuttled it so they come back and get it. And I'm imagining that maybe they located it, but it was just too deep to practically salvage. And then it was forgotten or something. But if I was a government with resources, I mean, if they can go down and, you know, somebody try and salvage the thresher, it seems like you'd want to go for 133 billion in gold.
1: You could probably defray some of your costs. Yeah. But then again, I like the part where they say, the joint salvage team also involves experts from China, Canada, and the UK. It says it's planned to collect as much treasure from the ship as possible and give half to the Russian government. The group says it'll give or donate 10% to the South Korean government for the purpose of transforming the island into a tourist destination.
0: Do you think these are all bribes to... uh... Uh kind of grease the wheels of any permitting to be done in the area.
1: I wouldn't say bribes. I think that's just being fair. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, because you just don't give ten percent of how many billion dollars? One hundred thirty-three. So thir- thirteen point so, three. Yeah, thirteen point three billion. Yeah. I like
1: the part where it says South Korean law requires salvage companies to deposit ten percent of the estimated value of a shipwreck prior to starting its salvage work.
0: How's that going to happen?
1: Well, wait a minute, Not the government wants, and I'm sure the government will help support that
0: oh that's so, that's so, interesting so it? they're they're really not donating. they're being extorted by South Korea to have to provide that in the first place. Uh, wow,
1: yeah, so you got to put thirteen point two billion down before you can get to work.
0: yeah, they' kind of spun that as making it sound
1: well, like they said, they say it found the ship, not a treasure, so the value is closer to one point two billion leading to a more modest deposit of 120 million won or $105,500. Yeah. And here's the point I like. My point was, why would they have that? This may be a lot of fuss about nothing. Russian experts say it's highly unlikely so much gold would have been placed into one basket, arguing that it would have been safer and much wiser to move such huge amounts by trade. But it's more... The ship was packed with or 12 artillery guns, 1,600 tons of coal. Hundreds of sailors couldn't possibly have had enough room for the rumored, rumored number of boxes of gold. Then I like the part that says the governments of Russia and Japan will likely have strong opinions about the true ownership of the alleged treasure.
0: Well, that's because my understanding, since it's a military vessel, that the original country still lays claim. But,
1: well, there's no bodies on it because they abandoned it. They deliberately sank it. So they must have not wanted it.
0: Yeah. Well, that would be my argument. But then why would Japan have any claim? We were the ones attacking it's, you.
1: It's in their water.
0: I thought it was in uh, South Korea.
1: Yeah, well, sorry about that. Yeah, South Korea. So the Koreans can have it. That's cool, though. I was looking at that picture of the gentleman that looks like a. Uh, um, a one-man sub suit?
0: Yeah, almost like, like the gym
1: suit, Like the yeah. gym
0: suit? Yeah. It may be one of those little one-man type mini subs.
1: Yeah, I think they used to rent back in the day for a million a week or something like that.
0: Yeah. Well, if they've definitely, if, if it's true there's that much on, I, I, I'm kind of agreeing with the Russians. It's kind of like, yeah, I, anytime something sinks, uh, I think any amount of money gets attached to it so that people don't hunt for it. There's all sorts of audits that probably failed that year and it's like, oh no, that gold was on that, that shipwreck that sank. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we'll skip this next one for this week. I, it, it never came up on mine. And that was the uh uh Photos classic Mark V deep sea suit. Oh,
1: I just I just included one too, you might want to say that's uh sunken German submarine from World War One likely contains the remains of twenty three sailors. I don't think we covered that one, so put that in your back pocket.
0: Yeah, yeah, we'll 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 take a look at that one again next week. So let's go ahead and end the new segment of the program. Uh, you
1: didn't like the one on the Mark V, by the way.
0: Oh, I do. It never loaded on my page. It was the blank oh. screen.
1: As the club, we've done that before.
0: So w- what are they doing? I I don't. I never even read the article.
1: Well, we got uh, Bill Byers is a, a diver. I uh, with an actually a club member, and did quite a few uh, New Year's dives with us back in the 80s, back over at Barron Lake, where you'd have the op creeping, or not quite an island, but that part that went out into the middle of the of the uh, Barron Lake. He'd bring his Mark V and the suit, and as long as you wanted to pump the air, he'd let you go ahead and use the suit, dress them up, and walk out on out there in the sand, not real deep, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know 20 feet or so and then back. And if you've never done it, it's a lot of fun. And what we've done at Andrews University is we got the breastplate and the hard hat with the airline Anna pump. And we took it to Andrews and we'd let people put the, the helmet and breastplate on, you know, with the shorty and hop off, not hop off, but go off the side of the pool. And that's like 15, 16 feet deep where we used to dive there at the, the diving pool in, in Andrews. Yep. And that was still a lot of fun. But you know, you always wanted to be the first guy in because towards the middle of the time, people would start getting a little lax on pumping of the air. <laughs> and the, as you exhale, the, the water column would increase into the helmet,
0: oh. till under your nose or something. Ooh, that doesn't sound like a, a good experience. Well, yeah, if
1: you if you left your exhaust valve open, then it would do that, of course. Otherwise, you're going to inflate your suit. <laughs> but if you have a an open system, you know, which you do, because it's not connected to your suit through your breastplate, you know, to shut off your outlet valve so you're not losing the air, so when they don't pump, unless you got air to get back up. But it's a lot of fun. And the pictures I had are awesome.
0: Yes. Very cool. No, Another thing, I, I need to start making like a mi- little mini bucket list of uh, diving stuff I want to get done in the next few years. Got some catching up to do. Speaking of catching up, is anybody doing any uh, diving this weekend? We just had our mud club meeting this week, and it sounded like a few people were thinking about getting out on the big lake
1: it always seems like the weather kicks up on the weekend when people want to take their boats out
0: yeah yeah it's not been a favorable weekend for boating on or a, a season for boating on the on lake michigan yeah unless
1: you can do it during the middle of the week when most people are working yeah uh cuz i think they were saying it's uh forecast to be 3 foot waves
0: yeah that's that's like on the edge Yeah, you know, if it's 3 foot and dropping then eh, maybe you think about it but if it's just 3 point 3 on uh, 3.3 three feet, it's, that's a that's a little rough.
1: Well, it, well, it depends on, on the wave frequency.
0: Yeah, if you've got a low, long wave, that's not bad, but when you get those short ones that just beat the death out of you.
1: Right, and if you don't have a really, really good exit ladder, that will beat you up.
0: Yep. Let's see, is there, do you, do you have a uh, safety story of the week?
1: Actually, I do. Um, it's a little different than what we normally have, so you want me to go through it? Sure. Okay. Uh, i got to get over situated here. Okay. This is uh, called Nightbox Safety, and there's a quote there at the beginning, talked about, no matter where on earth you live, most of the oxygen in the atmosphere is generated by the sea. That's a quote from Sylvia Earle, which most people should know who she is. Uh, Safe drivers don't take chances with their tank. Clear labeling. And careful verification combined with thorough planning of your maximum operating depth are necessary to avoid complications while diving on nitrogen. Basic stuff we picked up in our French psychologist Paul Bert first proposed diving with a mixture of air and additional oxygen in the late 19th century. First dives with oxygen enriched air were made using early closed circuit rebreathers, and in 1979, NOAA adopted enriched-air nitrox, a combination of oxygen and nitrogen for scientific diving. When enriched-air nitrox first became available for recreational divers in the mid-'80s, many people were concerned about the risk of suffering an oxygen toxicity seizure and saying they were too great for the entire recreational diving community to to safely manage. These seizures occur when a diver exceeds the maximum depth-recommended for the gas being inhaled, and the partial pressure of oxygen becomes too high to breathe safely. Well, 10 years later, some of the world's largest training agencies launched Nitrox Diver Training. By 2000, when Dan hosted a Nitrox diving workshop, diving was Nitrox was mainstream and pure to stag. And that's by 2000. Now, last year, Dan researches analyzed 400 recreational diving fatalities, over a 10-year period to, de- to examine the occurrence of ox- uh, oxygen toxicity seizures. Were those fears some people expressed in the early days justified? Well the final data set study included 344 air divers, 86% of the study, and 55 nitrox divers, 14%, ages 14 to 78. The average oxygen content in the nitrox was 31%. Researchers found that nitrox divers were more commonly diving in equipment they personally owned, and that the depth of the fatal dives was significantly deeper for the nitrox divers than for air divers. This finding seemed counterintuitive at first since the safe maximum operating depth of depth of nitrox is shallower than that of air. But when you factor in the cost of a nitrox fill, generally more than an air fill, it makes sense that divers are going to shallow depths with longer, no decompression limits, which would be less likely to pay extra for nitrox. Said only one out of the 55 nitrox facilities fatalities was covered, uh, was considered likely due to oxygen toxicity. An experienced technical diver had filled a set of double cylinders with enriched air nitrox containing 32%. The dive was later canceled. Some weeks later, he used the filled cylinders for a tech dive to a depth of 160 feet. Which is deeper than the max depth for using EAN 32. While breathing the nitrox, the diver descended to 160, slowly ascended to 130, suffered a seizure, sank back down to 160, according to the dive computer recorded profile. Now, the diver owned multiple tanks, and he may have simply forgotten those particular tanks contained nitrox. And they said this is considered rare because most people. Analyze and correctly mark their tanks containing nitrox as they do in their courses, and they verify it before diving. Said in the past 25 years, nitrox has gone from being regarded as being difficult, meaning a voodoo gas, to a gas of choice in many dive operations. Would have been difficult to imagine 30 years ago that today, live a boat, dive boat, would be organizing thousands of dives on nitrox. We estimate U.S. divers make millions of dives each year while breathing nitrox. While oxygen toxicity may have caused more fatalities than Dan is aware of, research shows that the fears expressed when nitrox was first used in recreational diving, they have not been realized. There can be little doubt this is due to the entire diving community working together, they glass the gas blenders getting the mixture right, the doctor is teaching how to safely dive with nitrox and divers knowing to analyze their gas when they collect it from the shop and prior to performing their dive to their maximum depth. So I thought it was an interesting article. And uh, back when it was called Voodoo Gas, turned out it really isn't. Key item, of course, is check your mixture before you be diving.
0: Yeah. If you're going to be doing nitrox, you know, invest in that analyzer, test it at the shop. Mark the tank and then test it again before you dive it. Yep. And also make sure you've taken the time to get your nitrox certification and training. And just don't dive off a buddy's tank and let him try and convince you what it's good for. But you know that's a that's a scary thing. I mean, you think about it. You know, I I've borrowed tanks frequently from other people. I mean, you could. You know, and I don't. I'm not analyzing it because I'm, I'm expecting them to all be air, but. Yeah, if you but wanted...
1: you're not doing any deep diving either. I no, I, no. I would hazard to say you haven't dove to 132 feet in years and years.
0: No. I mean, about the deepest I've gone is about 135, and it's been a couple of years since I've been past 120. And even when I am diving that deep, I'm not going that deep enough to, with on most mixtures to get a partial pressure that high. But, you know, different metabolisms can go at different times. So another good article. The the interesting point they made in there was the depth that some of the Nitrox divers were actually having problems at deeper depths than the air divers. Now, that one diver who had sunk deeper, is that where they were calling the accident depth, or would it be where they think he originally had the problem?
1: I get the impression they were talking at 160, and even though he was coming up before he hit the safe zone, which normally would be 132, Mm -hmm. and again, depending on how long he was down. Then you had a seizure, which just went back to the bottom. Good point. Well, the nice point, no, I shouldn't say nice. Having a full face for that kind of stuff is good. So if you're unconscious, at least you're not sucking in water. And if you had a buddy, you've got a chance they can recover you before you you die.
0: Yeah, they could drag you up. You you, you being unconscious or having a seizure, you could still. You're not
1: ingesting water, yes. Exactly.
0: Well, I I think we're. About to that point, we're, we're going to be a little little shorter of an episode this week, probably about an hour by the time, time we're all said and done, but uh, considering a late start, it turns out pretty well. Oh, yeah. So do you have anything you want to plug?
1: Well, not for that. I know we got the uh, club picnic coming up on the 11th. Uh, I'll be putting out a little fill-out-the-form if you're going to come and if you want chicken or steak. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I talked to Jim today, and we're – hoping to schedule the ecology dive in September. Okay. And I'll get with Mary Beth, and we'll figure that out. And I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if I'll be diving, but I will be sure of support. Yep.
0: And if uh, Kevin was on tonight, he'd be saying, uh, make sure you go out there and support your librarians. They're there to to help, help you in your research endeavors. And probably this time of year, other than people trying to avoid the heat who don't have air conditioning, I imagine it's probably a slow time for your librarians. Also, you know, get those air fills. Keep your your tanks uh, filled up, and buy locally whenever you can.
1: Yeah, frequent your dive shop. I think Sass put out another. Uh, Sass is doing real good on their uh, Wednesday nights. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, well, wasn't, you know, wasn't somebody in the ch- local
0: chat room said they had a pretty good turnout? Well, they're that-
1: always having a good turnout. I think this week's was at Cora.
0: Yeah, somebody said fifty. I thought.
1: I've been there when they've been at least fifty people.
0: Well uh, that's a, that's excellent turnout for a dive shop sponsored dive in a weekday. I mean that's that's not that's yeah. it's not a Saturday, that's a Wednesday evening.
1: That's correct.
0: Well so that's great. Oh I'm sorry, it was twenty four divers last Wednesday night.
1: So did they go to Cora that was a Cora dive, correct?
0: Uh I don't know. Let me see. Well I know
1: John had planned on going.
0: Uh, it says twenty four divers this week. Yeah, and they said Cora. Okay. Yeah, so that's still good. 24 is excellent.
1: Yeah, good got out.
0: So are you ready for that time of the show?
1: Yes, I am sitting down.
0: Yep, the, this is uh, another one from our uh, favorite diver down under, Rod. He's uh, sent this to us, so we know who to blame. The little boy tells his nursery teacher he's found a dead cat. How did you know it was dead, asked the teacher. Because I pissed in its ear and it didn't move, said the boy. You did what, shrieks the teacher? Well, you know, explains the boy, I leaned over and I went, Psst, and it didn't move.
1: I had to think about that one twice.
0: <laughs> I, I thought that was a nice bad one. Yeah,
1: I mean, because, I mean, it made sense when you figure out what
0: he said. <laughs> but at first you're thinking, you, you did what to that cat? Yeah. Well, on uh, that one, go out there and get wet. And stay safe.